Hi, Shotmaker podcast listeners. I am so excited to be joined by Peter Margaritas, a CPA and author of The Accidental Accountant, as well as Improv is No Joke. I think you will find this conversation to be fascinating. Peter is like me in a lot of ways, not your typical accountant, but he also has an incredible amount of insight on improv and how improv can actually improve the way that we manage our team, we deal with people. And during this crazy time where people are stressed and all of the things that we can't control in the world, it's really interesting to listen to how something like improv can actually improve the way that we deal with our customers on a daily basis, as well as the way that we think about accounting. So I think you'll find he has great insights into his knowledge of accounting blended with this study of human nature and um, so many great takeaways. So thank you to Peter for joining us today, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. And if I could get a golf tip, that would be great because I was terrible over the weekend. So I'll just leave it at that. No. Um, But but what's interesting is I was reading your bio and I'd love to go in a little bit is you're very involved in improv, you know, which although, you know, sports, it's very similar where you're thinking on your feet, you're in front of people. So tell us a little bit about how improv has been a part of your life. I stumbled into improv uh, back in the mid 80s. Uh, I was actually doing stand up comedy in Cleveland. <clears throat> Wasn't that good because, uh, well, I'll just leave it at that. But uh, a colleague said that he was putting on a, on a uh, improv workshop uh, and to come try it out. And I'm like, okay, this maybe we will write material. Maybe we'll get funnier. And I go to this workshop and I'm going, has anybody been drinking or what the heck? I mean, they were playing these goofy improv games and stuff. And I go, I don't get it. And, and, I, I, and when we were done, I was about to say, well, thank you. I won't ever come back again. And, and the instructor, just before I made a comment to him, he goes, okay, everybody, next week, your homework is to study the 70s. And if you lived in the 70s, you might want to study it because you probably don't remember it. I said, oh, I missed out on the homework. Okay, I'll give it another shot. <laughs> And I actually did the, did the homework. I went out and studied the 70s, movies, music, world events. And when we get to the workshop, those of us who did the homework, we were funny. Those who didn't, weren't. Uh-huh. And that was my one of my aha moments. It's like, wait a minute, okay. I, I came here to get funnier, and those who can improvise are fun, can be funny. But this is about using our knowledge, our education, our background, our experiences, and putting it in a place. It just happened to be funny at the time. But I said, there's more to this than just being funny. This is kind of a, could be a leadership kind of principle. And I've been, I fell in love at that point. I continue to stay in love with with the world of improv because it has opened so many avenues. It has, I have failed so many times, but I've learned from it. And I wouldn't be doing today, doing what I'm doing today if I hadn't discovered improv back in the 80s. It's amazing because on paper, people wouldn't see a similarity between being a CPA and being you know, interested in improv. But it is interesting how you draw that connection. So how has that served or, you know, your work as an accountant, CPA? Well, actually, someone told me, I was having this interesting conversation the other day with someone about being a CPA and they go, you know what, Pete, we're all improvisers. 
Because every four years we get a new administration and they always want to pass new laws and regulations. Then you got FASB over here and GASB <laughs> over here. And they, oh, and then we get the federal government who gets involved with us, all the, the, the tax. We're, we're constantly ebbing and flowing. We're constantly adapting to new things. We're constantly doing all, all of that. And, and, and we'll, the greatest improvisers in the world are CPAs because they're always doing something next to golfers. I think golfers do more. <laughs> and I'm not just trying to suck up to the, to the host. However, when you play golf, you're always never, nothing ever goes right all the time. Yeah. We're always improvising. But then again, while human beings, if we have a script, it rarely comes true every single day. So we're really all improvising. And my goal is to get people to recognize that we all are improvisers. Just use it strategically in your business. Lean into that fear of the unknown. Don't say no. Don't say but. Say yes and and listen listen to conversations. One of the key superpowers in, in the world of improv is the ability to listen to understand versus listening to respond. We live in a listen to respond world where you will say just enough before I'm ready to respond or I will say so you will say something and I'll have an idea and I will interrupt you or and not let you finish your complete thought. All the while I have an ego, I, I have an agenda, I have conscious and unconscious biases, I've got distractions that are causing me to do that. Improvisers listen with their whole being. Imp improvisers, we can tune out the distractions. We can park agendas. We can park egos. We can and, and try to listen to the person to find out what's the real issue at hand and what's the real idea at hand. And instead of shoot, shooting them down or shutting them down, we'll ask questions to learn more. It, we might be the final answer might be a no, but it's a no that has been explored and examined. Not no, it's not in the budget. I'm sorry, Andy, we can't do this. And we can't do this. <laughs> right. That's such a good point. I mean, that really is an aha moment. So how do you, I guess, go about advising clients or people who are thought leaders to you know, kind of bring some of this into their organization. So we deal a lot with restaurants and, you know, I think it's the hardest thing of running a restaurant is building a team, but yet, you know, you have a time restraint, you might have not have time to like go to an improv class. I mean, do you, you know, kind of advise people to do improv in their organizations? Absolutely. Actually, I spoke at a uh, restaurant conference a couple of weeks ago and I'm Greek American. So I, I know what restaurants are about. I grew up in them since I was like 12 years old. So I, so I understood the audience and connected with them. And part of the improv world is it's it's extrapolation of this. I ask I ask audiences, what business are you in? And I get all these different answers. I go, no, those are byproducts. We're in the people business, first and foremost. Without people, we have no business, right? Yeah, and they'll, yeah. go, they'll go right, but they, they're not, it doesn't really still connect with them. Improv is about empathy. Putting yourself, trying to understand what that person feels like in their shoes, not putting yourself in their shoes, because you can't. It's trying to understand that person in their shoes. And I think that, that's the biggest aspect of improv it's it's about people it's about collaboration it's about the ability to empathize sympathize be human allow mistakes be supportive be collaborative and but not be a pushover and some people think well if you're an improviser you're a pushover absolutely not 
It's collaborative. It's about caring. It's, it's never about the leader. It's about the team. Yes. Yeah. And I did a I did a workshop I did a, a workshop off of my second book, Taking the Numb Out of Numbers, to a CPA group last week in Nashville. I haven't done this before, but I started the session off with with a listening exercise and basically talking about we are information gatherers in this profession. We we, we should listen more than we speak. We should with we, we did this exercise with. A, passed out a case study and I said, you've got a, a meeting, virtual meeting with the CFO of the company, with, with the CEO of the company and you're the virtual CFO and you want to, you're set for an hour, but things came up in his or her day. And, and now they, now it's pushed back to you have about barely 10 minutes. What are you going to do? What's the number one thing you're going to do? What's the number one question? What's the, <laughs> and, and the feedback I got from the audience, well, I, I think revenue is down because of this and all this guessing. So why don't you just take, and, and the leader of the, this organization, one of the leaders of this organization, a guy named Joseph, why don't you do it the way Jody does? It doesn't matter what situation he's in. He comes in and says, so what's going on? Let them tell you, because now you're listening for those clues. You've done the work. You, you've done it all. You're ready. You're ready. But you know what? Probably eight times out of 10, what you hear is what you're already prepared for. However, that those two times comes this something from left field. Now you've got to have the world to push that away and go, okay, now I've got to figure this out in the moment. Yes. All by listening. <laughs> and that is such a good exercise for not just accountants, because I do think that, you know, would be a great a- you know, exercise that accounts, but even any business team, because how many times do you hear, you know, an owner frustrated, you know, we're losing money or we had a bad quarter, we had a bad month and it's, I'm going to go, you know, hold my team accountable. But like you're saying, you don't actually ask the team what the problem was, right? Because not everything is in the numbers, which I think is a huge lesson is the numbers part of the story, but we don't really know the full story. So that's a fascinating exercise. And it opened a lot of eyes and we, we, we tend to, because we want to be right about everything. We want to see the conversation, but one of our major flaws in CPAs, whether it's an hour or five minutes, a lot of people said, well, if I had five minutes, I would have just spoken really fast because I prepared all this stuff and it's my spreadsheet and it is great to see. And I'm like, blah, 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 blah. He doesn't, they, he or she does not want to hear that. No. They, they actually, we need to hear them before, you know, just so what's new. What's going on? Talk to me. What's happening? What's keeping you up at night? And let them feed you the information. Now you know which direction to go into. But we like to speak first and then listen second. Yes. Yes. No, that's so good. I mean, I think one of the other things that, you know, you and I share is the idea of accounting is a learned skill that really anybody should be able to understand accounting, mm-hmm. find a way to make it work. So speak a little bit to that. I think that's such an important message to business owners who maybe didn't have an accounting background before getting started. Or maybe had that one accounting class and said, <laughs> never again. Holy crap. What are you, what are you guys selling here? Like, you know, little landlines or something. 
Uh, and you speak that weird language. I don't know. A debit is different than your world versus when I go to the bank. I mean, okay. what, in, in depreciation is not the value you lose in your car. It's a systematic allocation of an asset over time. What? Huh? We teach, and, and being a, a former uh, accounting instructor at the university, as well as you, there should be two ways of teaching accounting. And the intro to accounting should be taught as a, as a way that not so just to try to get the audience to be one, become CPAs or accountants or two, to pass any type of an exam. It should be spoken in a way that's simplistic. It's not in the foreign language of business called accounting. It's in plain English. And we don't need to go into all the weeds, but they should have an idea that the thing that really surprises me is if you ask a business owner, which financial statement do you tend to refer to more, the P&L or the balance sheet? They go P&L. Where's the the value of the business? Where's the worth of the business? It's in the P&L. Wrong answer. Try again. (laughs) And and they get to understand the balance sheet. Well, because we've done such a poor job of teaching it, we, we teach it like we're trying to create more accountants. And, and there, there is a way that there is a way that we can teach this in a learned way. But we have to realize that we are speaking a foreign language. And if we want to talk to business owners, we need to put it really accounting is a communication thing. It's a communication. And we have to become better communicators and put it in some plastic language so our clients can understand and, and know for those of you who right now just went, I'm not dumbing down this information because I invested a whole lot of money to get this degree and all this stuff. No, you're not dumbing it down. Only maybe in your ego, you think you're dumbing it down, but you put it in a way that somebody else could understand it. Yes. Yeah. No, that's such a good point. And just to get rid of that, like you said, the fear of the college course that has driven so many people to run the other direction Um, because you need it. I mean, I think now when you take a look at what's happened the last two years with COVID and, you know, all inflation, you know, what are some of the things that, you know, you try to help people understand without getting too far into the weeds, just ways that they can really understand the numbers better. I came up with this idea when I was doing this whole developing this book on taking the number out of numbers. I remember when I used to work for Victoria's Secret Catalog, not as a model, but I appreciate you thinking about that. That's kind of, you might want to swipe that from your memory, that the we would have these quarterly meetings where the head of limited brands, Les Wexler, would come over to our building and senior leadership would be in front of everybody and give them the update on sales and distribution. And always last, always last was the CFO. And this is before we had cell phones, smartphones, and we were bored to death. I mean, we, we can only look at each other or look at our shoes. We had nothing else to distract us. Now, a lot of yawns and stuff. My, my go-to airline is Delta Airlines. And I said, I went out and, and got their financial statement and, and just basically took the income statement, common sized it. And, you know, we, we like to talk in percentages. I said, no. So I asked audiences, have you ever seen like a, a trillion dollars? You know, have you ever seen a billion dollars? No. You ever seen a dollar bill? Oh, Yeah something everybody can relate to. So I put a dollar bill up on the screen and I said, I'm the CFO of Delta Airlines. I'm looking at the quarterly update. I'd go something like for every dollar our passengers give us for the privilege to fly on our, our airline. Every dollar they give us, 22 cents because I did the homework, goes to payroll or 22%. I changed it to 
Yeah. And then after that, it was like 17 cents goes to airline fuel, then 10 cents to regional carriers, then 7 cents to pay taxes, a big bucket of 32 cents or something like that, which include landing fees and non profits sharing and utilities and stuff. And we have 12 cents left, which doesn't seem like a lot. And that 12 cents is profit. But that's a dollar. And the average the average ticket price is about $250. And we flew X amount of people around the world. That 12 cents is big. It's huge. Now, I know what everybody's thinking. How can I make payroll 23 cents? Well, I can't do anything about the fuel because it fluctuates in the market. The regional carriers, I can't do anything. Uncle Sam, I can't do anything about but, you know, we get these other costs like utility costs. What if we just controlled it? What if we were more conscious about turning off our lights, turn off something simple as that? If everything stayed the same, maybe we could split whatever that profit is and I'd throw a little bit more into payroll. Now you've got their attention. But I had to put it in simplistic ways that everybody can understand a dollar bill. But we love to talk in trillions and millions and billions. But nobody's ever most People have never seen that. A very small part of the population has seen that. And that's who we're trying to connect with. And, and then the, the real accounts go pay, 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 pay. You know that 12 cents because it has some non-cash items in it. You know that, right? You remember depreciation. <laughs> Would you stop it? Would you just stop? No, no. They don't need to know that. that call, that's called confusion. Right. right. We're just trying to tell them about the business without being confusing. Yes. And taking all the confusion and the distractions out and just put it in simplistic language for them. Yeah. And that is such a great exercise because I think what's hard now, right, what we see a lot, you know, especially in restaurants and anywhere there's inflation, any Mm -hmm. industry there's inflation, is the hardest thing to see right now is if your pricing is off. Oh, yeah. Because you can't find that on the PL, right? Because your PL is not going to show you what your price should be. It's just right. going to show you what it is. So if it's not working out, but I love that idea of just doing it the common size. You're starting with the dollar and just doing your percents because you'd probably find it there. Right. You, you, you'll find you'll, something in there will go, oh, what the? Why are we off here? And, and everybody should be going through their pricing through inflation. I mean, it's costing us all a lot more to do and we this is called a business in order to have a business we have to be able to offset some of those rising prices even though we don't want to yeah but if we don't then we could go out of business right because cash is king cash is the lifeblood of every organization without cash you have no business right right and that's the hardest part, I think, with especially hospitality, because you want people to be happy. And when your chicken wings are $29 on your menu, they're not happy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and it's, it's hard to, even though the consumer is feeling the pinch, especially at the pump, when, when, when they go to the grocery store, go, oh, my God, everything is up higher. But my restaurant's going to keep the prices the same. Right. That's kind of flawed thinking because they're paying higher prices too. Right. Yeah. And, and there's no hedge on, I, don't, I guess there's a hedge on cattle and beef and everything else. But, you know, I, I think if we all had a better understanding of the numbers, how business works, 
that we can we can empathize with the restaurant owners. I, I think we did a decent job of empathizing with them during the pandemic because I think a lot of us wanted to eat out maybe even more than we've ever had been, or at least take out more than we've ever had been. Because we wanted to support, I, I know that I did. I mean, I, like I said, I've got a restaurant in my blood. I just felt for them all because I know the pain that they were all going through. It's like, oh my God. And some survived and, and, and you know, some did it and hopefully they come back in some way, shape or form now that things have loosened up, but only to come out of a two year pandemic right into inflation. Right. Which is where, I mean, I think the ones that have survived have learned the importance of the numbers. Yeah. And now I feel like it's just pressing on, you know, the that this is a priority because like you said, it's not like it's back to normal. It's like, Oh, by the way, your core cost just went up 10%. So right. there you go. <laughs> yeah. my, my son and I took a, a wife out for a birthday last week and went to a, a nice restaurant here in Columbus, Ohio. Oh my God, these prices are like $15 more than they were last time we were here, which was two years, two years ago. So, so yes. And there's this thing called inflation. You were saying how much everything is, Costs more. It trickles its way through the whole economy, not just grocery stores. Yeah. No. Which again goes back to, I mean, I think the other part of this is anyone who's a business leader in hospitality, you're also facing a stressed out consumer, right? So being able to deal with your customers and your team, I mean, I think this will become more important this year than ever. So I guess if you were to take, give someone maybe three tips, right? If I'm a business owner who's trying to relate to my team and and I believe what you're saying about improv, like what are the three things that I should do to navigate this, you know, this storm of 2022? Well, this thought just came across my head. I, I hadn't thought about this before, but when you're in business, you need to show the consumer, the customer, your value. And that va- a lot of that value is intrinsic, but that value comes to the way you listen to the customer. That value is how you treat that customer. And yeah, there's, there's always somebody who is going to just rock the, the, the apple cart just because they think that's fine. And that's, but there are those are few and far between. I, I, I think one of the things that I have lacked in, 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 in the restaurant industry is that going back to that, what is that customer experience? How do you make them feel when they leave? And are you providing such an experience that they would come back to see you again? And there's one restaurant in Bloomington, Minnesota, Italian restaurant, Chow Bella. Every time I'm in Minnesota, if I'm within an hour drive, I'm going there for dinner because every time I've gone there, they've made me feel great. They, they were attention to detail. The service was in impeccable. I've written two blog articles about them. <laughs> so go back to what real great customer experience is and make sure that you've taken time with your team. Don't assume that they know. Yeah. And talk to them about that. The other two tips is quit saying no. Quit saying no. Well, we can get, well, no, let me take that back. 99% of the time, quit saying no. One percent of the time, I think it's very valid is when somebody's trying to push you across your ethical boundaries. So it's no or whatever adjective you want to put in front of it. Then, no, that's perfect. There's no yes and no because or any of that. But just because somebody has an idea, don't shoot them down. Go 
Yes, and tell me more about your idea. Yes, I would love to have the moment to talk with you right now. However, I'm going from one meeting to the next. Let's find, let's find time on my calendar and see if we can get it done today. If not today, we'll do it tomorrow. Versus, no, I can't see you right now because I'm going to a meeting. When we tell people, no, we just set them aside. And we don't make them feel well. Or when we interrupt people. And I ask, ask a group of people, do you like being interrupted? Everybody goes, no. So, okay, how many in this room are interrupters? <laughs> These hands <Okay>. up. <laughs> Think about it. They go, you know, we never put two and two together. And I guess the last one is, remember, this is not about you, the owner. This is about the team. And when the team fails, they don't fail. You failed. You failed the team. When the team wins, you didn't win. The team wins. If you make it about somebody other than you and the good, and if the bad times, you take it upon yourself, your team sees that. And they know that you appreciate them. And, and, and appreciation, 70, 78% of people leave a job, not for money, because of lack of appreciation. When you can truly show appreciation, even by just the simple act of listening to understand, goes a long way in keeping people. I've got a buddy of mine just texted me. He says, God, you got to help me get out of this. I'm like, get out of what? He goes, uh, this job's not a fit. This job's not a fit. I took it for the money, but it's not a fit. It's not a fit. I went, yeah, I hear that all the time. I took it for the money, didn't think about the fit. Because yeah. there's still some leaders out there who still think it's about them. How are you making me feel? How are you, how are you making me look? Right. Mm, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, but those are great lessons. That's uh, that's fantastic. So tell people where they can find you, learn more about you and, and your message. Find me online. They can Google Peter Margaritas and it's M-A-R-G-A-R-I-T-I-S. We pronounce it like a cocktail, <laughs> but it's spelled like an inflammation, like margaritas. Okay. My website is petermargaritas.com. My email is peter at petermargaritas.com. Highly suggest to everyone who's listening to this podcast is go find an improv workshop. It's worth the investment. It's usually six or seven classes. Go. Yes, you might be the oldest, you might be the youngest, or there, there's this fear about it, but lean into the fear. That's where the excitement happens. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much for taking the time today. We really appreciate it. Oh, this was a blast. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. <laughs>